Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wondering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast on planet Earth, proudly brought to you each and every week by the terrible people that own, run, and operate Caffeine Gum Australia. I'm not going to do a big ad today, but if you would like to support the podcast and feel good all the time, please check us out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. It's got 100 milligrams of caffeine per piece, and it tastes really good. It comes cinnamon, arctic mint, spearmint, used by professional sporting teams all over Australia, and it helps me. So please check it out, www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. Today's guest is Mr. Brian Doyle. So Brian is a professional MMA coach, and he is the boxing coach for the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Smeaton Grange Gym. He home to Robert Whitaker and a bunch of other guys who are fighting in the UFC and one FC and some up and coming guys as well. In his career, he was the main sparring partner for Jeff Fennick during his world title runs, as well as working with Costa Zoo when he moved to Australia. And he's a disciple of the legendary boxing coach Johnny Lewis. Currently, he's working with Alex Pratt, who I believe is probably one of the best coaches in this country. He's certainly the only coach that has trained an NRL premiership winning team and a UFC champion, which is no no small feat and quite a remarkable accomplishment. And it was great to have him on. I think I think all coaches can learn from martial arts coaches, particularly MMA coaches. And the 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 task of how to get good at all these different martial arts and then mix it into one and then compete at a world championship level and the discipline, the skill acquisition, the mental work that you have to do as a coach and for these athletes, I think is applicable to a lot of sports. And, and the really big thing that I've I found interesting is is there is there any more stressful situation than fighting for a world title? in front of millions of people on on TV with your clothes off in a ring with some other person trying to kill you? I don't think there is. But how, did, how do you train guys for those stressful situations? How do you get the most out of them? How do you help them prepare? How do you, how do you make the best in the world even better? This was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Mr. Brian Doyle. Mate, firstly, how are you? I haven't seen you for a while. How's life? Yeah. Where, where are you? Uh, um, I'm in a little factory in Tarrant Point. Um, yeah, uh, just working away. I sold my uh, business that I was in for 36 years. I sold that uh, about a month and a half ago. The the four-wheel drive one? The four-wheel drive business and... Um, I'm focusing on uh, opening a boxing gym, actually, in Tarrant Point. So that's uh, my focus at the minute. And hopefully, we'll have it uh, open to the public in uh, maybe four to six weeks. Yeah, that, mate, so, that's awesome. So you're jumping yeah. full-time into the, the coaching world and sort of getting yeah. out of the corporate a little bit? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, um, I've got a gym down at Tarrant Point. I train, I suppose, a selected group of individuals and um, – now that I have more time, I'm I'm going to pursue that, and, and I suppose, as I say, open the doors and uh, see how we go. Mate, good stuff, good stuff. It feels like so. I've obviously uh, met you doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. For anyone listening, Brian, he's still a purple belt. Um, next question. Yes, I am. <laughs> I, I think I'm. Uh, I think it's about a decade of being a purple belt, but. Um, uh, as as we spoke, uh, um, I'm working through injury at the moment, so my career's on hold. <laughs> now, you're doing better than me. I I walked into my first jits class over ten years ago, and I've just got my third stripe on my white belt. So you're doing better nice. than me. <laughs> but nice um, I first met you doing um, doing jujitsu. Uh, found out about your boxing career and some of the people you worked with. And as I was mentioning before we started the podcast, the the whole point of this pod is to give young coaches an insight into what it takes to coach at a semi-elite level any level really because some i've just gotten into rugby coaching and it's a it's a challenging and complex task how to get the best out of people and, and for someone that's started doing martial arts 
I, I've been quite good the last four or five months, Brian. I'll, I'll have you know. But the the difference in teaching martial arts is is so interesting to me because you're literally working with you know one of the best fighters in the world, but then you're also teaching beginners how to how to actually learn from scratch. So I, I, probably the best place to start is can you talk a little bit about your boxing career and some of the people that you've worked with when you were actually fighting? Yeah, okay. Well, it goes back a long time. Um, I started boxing at uh, Newdown PCYC uh, as a, a late teenager. Um, I had a... Um, I suppose I was maybe four or five years into an amateur career where I'd made a couple of Australian teams. Um, didn't really get the cookies for uh, for anything. The Australian teams, you know, you'll have a number one team that would you know, represent Olympics and things like that. And they normally have a second tier team of, uh, I suppose, the, the bench warmers. So, um, yeah, I made that a couple of times and represented Australia, but... Um, I then got a, a gig, um, a paid gig, to, uh, to to go away and spar with Jeff Jeff Fennick uh, as he'd sort of have a bit of a camp and go away for maybe four weeks before before each uh, fight. At that stage, he was um, you know fighting for world titles or defending them. Um, and I suppose that's, you know, I think back now of um, how fortunate I was and, I suppose the core group would have been, um, you know, Peter Matreski, Jeff, uh, and Johnny, and and myself, and we would have lots of, uh, you know, d- discussions in hallways of the hotel, in coffee shops. I suppose we're all fairly fanatical about uh, boxing, and and um, it was, you know, we, we enjoyed those conversations, and I suppose along the way we we, we added the likes of. Um, you know, Costa Zoo and Virgil Hill, Joe Bugner, and and a whole bunch of other guys that uh, probably not not as uh, famous as that uh, trio. But um, so I suppose the thinking tank was um, was pretty strong. It was pretty good. Um, you know, always you know all, all of the people that uh, we, we would go away with and train because we you know we train maybe for. Um, you know, eight or ten weeks before we went away, it was you know sort of a fit, full-on lead-up period to, to any major fight for Jeff. So um, yeah, I mean, spending a lot of time and having a lot of in-depth conversations with uh, with the likes of those guys and and, and plenty of other um, you know very good uh, Australian and international boxers was uh, I suppose I didn't realise at the time what a privilege it uh, it was. How how'd you how'd you get on their radar initially? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was mates with Jeff Fennick, I suppose, since we were maybe about 10. Um, we were on opposite teams, junior uh, rugby league team uh, clubs. Um, we played some reps together and um, uh, so it wasn't a stranger. And I suppose there was a lot of, a few guys up at Newdown PCYC that I knew and I just I enjoyed the training. Um, yeah, you get the opportunity to spar, you get the opportunity to have your first uh, amateur boxing match and, and I was addicted and it was a small group up there. There was probably, you know, less than 10, 10 people competing um, uh, and I suppose, again, understanding how Johnny uh, kept such a, a good culture. You, you know, you talk about a martial arts gym, it's an easier environment to train people than uh, a rugby field and a rugby field with lots of teams and it, it, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's hard to get it organised. I mean, a, a a martial arts gym or a boxing gym, you actually almost have like a it's like a, a classroom. Um, so communication's easy. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a you know, I think it's a little bit easier than um, than you know rugby and rugby league and soccer uh, outdoor activities where the elements sort of sometimes upset. The people you're trying to coach, uh, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, that's how I got involved, and uh, you know the friendship just formed. I mean, great thing is, uh, you know, they're lifelong friendships with uh, Jeff and Johnny and and Peter Matreski. I was, I was pretty particularly pleased and had a bit of an emotional moment. Um, you know, two weeks ago, I actually drove Johnny across to uh, Jeff Fennick's house, and I had a bit of a um, yeah, 
bit of a breakdown in their relationship, if you like, and um, yeah, they they got together and had a bit of a chat, and I, I suppose. <laughs> I felt That's like awesome. a parent sitting on the sideline, you know, I was a bit emotional. I was, I was very happy, for, you know, because, uh, you know, I think the world of both of them. So, you know, I was, I was happy that, um, you know, they just got on with things and um, enjoying each other's uh, friendship again. Mate, um, it's so interesting, a couple of things you said there. Uh, informal learning, so not necessarily learning at training, but having a lot of quiet conversations, maybe over a few beers or dinner, and coffees like I, I in my rugby career i played in the front row and i was lucky enough to play with some of the very best and i learned more away from training just having those quiet conversations than i probably ever did at training and again similar to you it took me 10 years to realize what i learned but do you is that something would you agree with that statement that it was a lot of informal learning and that was what really stood out to you as a coach yeah. now looking back yeah, absolutely. But I think at the end of the day, unless you carted that ball up, you know, um, unless you put your head down, those conversations probably weren't going to mean a lot. So, yeah, I think that's where the gold is. You know, you 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 know what it's like maybe, um, you know, to, to get caught out. I didn't want to show off my lack of rugby knowledge because uh, I'm winging it. But, uh, you know, like... Um, if, if just things aren't working for you at a breakdown or just, you know, w- when you're tackling, you're just not effective like you'd like to be, often it's not a big adjustment. If you're in there having a go and doing your best, obviously you've got desire to do well. And I feel sometimes if someone can just tweak that a little bit and give you a couple of little tips, you know, you, you, you run away with them like an ex- excited, you know, school kid wanting to try them again. Mate, we were just saying before, before the cutout, um, Obviously, guys that make it to the pinnacle of any sport are special, but I think guys that make it to the pinnacle of a combat sport are an extra special type of human. Working with Jeff, can you pinpoint what made him special? What what made him different? Yeah, well, I think um, he's definitely born with, um, you know, uh, just a lot of natural ability um, and an and absolute driven person. You know, like, um, and, and maybe boxing saved his life. I don't know, but um, he had so much energy, so so much drive. I don't think I've ever seen seen that. You know, much in in any human being. Um, that said, it was um, just been down and witnessed uh, Blake Johnson uh, surfing for the That's best incredible. part of forty hours. Yeah. So you know that I suppose everyone's got something in them, or a lot of people have. Um, one thing probably people don't realise um, that we got to see, um, you know, when Jeff Fennick wanted to dance around and make people miss and make them look silly and not overly engage in, in sparring, he did it against, you know, some of the best boxers in, in the world that would come to our gym. Um, that said, you know, I think our style was to go forward and win the fight and not leave it in the hands of a judge. So we didn't, I suppose, not that nobody... You know, none of us could could not dance around and evade punches and that. We just knew that the time clock was on. We need to win the fight. We need to go after and be aggressive. And and I think that, you know, that's what sticks in my mind is basically our style, if you like. Um, and, and Jeff just ate that style up. He just loved that. And the fact that he was fast meant he put pressure on people and was still hard to hit. Um, yeah, so, I mean... His drive, his natural ability, just you know, born born to do what he did. You know, how how much influence did Johnny Johnny Lewis have over those guys? How how important how important to everything was he? Because I, I I read Conor McGregor's book a few years ago, and he he said at the start that, uh, you know, would I have made it without John Kavanagh? And he goes, I probably would have but I'm glad I don't have to answer that question. How important was Johnny? What did you learn from Johnny? Well, I think, um, you know, the biggest thing I've, I've, I've learned from, from Johnny is just, you know, as a coach, you're just trying to help people become a better person, become better at what they're trying to do. Um, but it's more of a complete sort of picture. And I think obviously with, with Jeff, you know, he had a lot of energy and, 
And, uh, you know, it, 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 I suppose it was just a perfect relationship of, you know, before I ever met Johnny, all our mates used to say, yeah, there's this old guy up at the uh, PCYC. You know, he'd probably kill me for saying that. He would have only been about 40 at the time. But, um, you know, everyone talked about this old guy that just, you know, he gets you in box and shows you what to do. He's awesome. You've got to get up there. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, Jeff would have gone up there at about 17, 16. And um, Johnny's calmness, his simplicity, um, and Jeff's energy and just you know, desire is such a passionate person. You know, maybe that was like the odd couple and it was just the perfect match. Um, but, it, you know, and I certainly did witness it. It worked a treat. It was it was a perfect match. And I suppose, um, you know, I'll, no one will ever know why or how. Um, so some, that, some people have chemistry sometimes. They definitely had a chemistry. Um, absolutely, you know, and um, Johnny just knew what to say and you know um jeff felt you know he respected johnny i mean i suppose as a coach that you know if you go back a little bit johnny got everyone's respect because he just was a good good guy and uh he you know to, to coin a phrase from somebody else um another coach um if it's important to you it's important to me and i think you know that's uh something that was you know in within Johnny that uh, if it was important to you, it was important to him. So whether you just wanted to get fit and lose some weight, um, whether you wanted to see what it was like to hit a punching bag and, or do one session in the boxing gym, or whether you wanted to win a world title, whatever was important to you was important to him. And that become the focus of what you were doing. And it, and it just didn't phase him. And, and, and Johnny had a history. Johnny started coaching you know, probably in his early 20s but by default, but that's another story. You can get him on, on the pod, podcast. Oh, I'd now. love to, Johnny, if you're listening. <laughs> For now, it's about me, Johnny. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, you know, he had so many state champions and Australian champions through the amateur, um, you know, ranks and had some good professional fighters as well. Um, they were probably tougher times, you know, in the, in, in the 70s. And and I suppose the magic Johnny approached a guy, Bill Morty, who was just a rugby league guy, wasn't a boxing guy. Um, he became a boxing promoter, probably became um, up until recent with the, the Rose Brothers doing such a great job. Um, probably Bill Morty was the greatest Australian boxing promoter that, that's been. And... Um, you know, Johnny just had a way with him and Johnny never made a prediction that didn't come true about, you know, the pathway for Jeff's, Jeff's professional success. So, um, you know, that he, Johnny always built trust um, because he wouldn't make a claim if he, you know, he wouldn't say something if, if he wasn't sure it was going to happen. And quite simply, if he wasn't sure, he'd just say, well, I'm not too sure we can have a go, but I'm not too sure how it's going to pan out. So I think... Um, you know, that trust and, and he had a lot of belief in Jeff. He had a lot of belief. So obviously Johnny had a great eye uh, for, for skill. Uh, he had a great understanding of people. Um, you know, like oh, there's no doubt he understood that Jeff had a, had a big heart and, um, you know, and, and, and he was a tenacious guy with, with an abundant amount of skill and drive. And so... I don't think there was any doubt in Johnny's mind well before Jeff turned professional. So, so I think as a, a 17 or 18 year old, Johnny knew what Jeff could accomplish if, if he just kept on that pathway. So he's and, seen, he's seen the attributes that he knew yeah. was required yep. to get there. And then he helped nurture, nurture the, yeah. the talent, yep. the, the skill just, just on, on Johnny and the actual, just the actual practicality of training. Like I was, I was talking to Owen. Um, shout out to Owen from Gracie Miranda. We were talking about some of the world champions in jujitsu and how hard that they train, and you know, some of them six, eight, ten, twelve hours a day. Is was Johnny simpler minded in terms of how to get these guys to a world championship or to a serious professional level in terms of the actual physical training? Like how 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 did he approach helping people get good at boxing? Yeah, well, I suppose the, the culture we had in the gym, um, everyone just loved training 
as hard as they possibly could. And, you know, that, that, that just bounced around between everybody. I mean, um, just, you know, our, yeah, absolutely was contagious. And everyone had a lot of pride in how they trained. Um, and, you know, just our, our, our morning jogs was, was a race from hell, you know, like, um, and I know that because, probably for, I don't know, best part of five years, I, I reckon I had, you know, 400 5K races with Fennec and I never beat him once. And, you know, I think sometimes I was like 20 seconds behind him, but he had plenty in the tank and I didn't. And it was just sort of staying that far in front just to keep me, you know, doing my best. And the same, you know, Peter Matreski, senior, um, super fit guy, absolutely dedicated um, athlete and boxer. Um, and I think most people were thereabouts, but when they came to our gym, it just went up a level. And, um, and, and I think the most important thing, we just enjoyed it. It was good. It was good seeing how hard you could go and, and how well you could train. Obviously, Johnny somehow just knew too when, when we need to back off, you know. So sometimes, you know, one example could be Johnny would come on the run with us and, uh, you know, that, that they were just the greatest, you know, five or 8K jogs because Johnny would just tell jokes and stories the whole way. And, um, you know, it seemed like the run was over in five minutes, but uh, it was a really slow pace, say five or six, whatever it was, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and that, again, just, um, you know, was it a fluke or was it a bit of magic? I'll never know. <laughs> But there's a bit to that though. So you you train really hard against good people. You make sure it's fun, and and I think naturally people enjoy seeing themselves improve and getting better and pushing themselves. And I guess if you're in that environment, it'd be pretty stimulating, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And I don't think ever um, Johnny asked anyone to train harder. He never asked. He offered. You know, would you like to do another round? Would you like to do this? And I suppose, you know, I've adopted a lot of that myself. Um, I don't want to force anyone to do anything, but also you can make people realise, you know, if you if you really like winning, well, this is going to help. This is going to help. So let's enjoy. And, and I think most people playing sports, you know, rugby, most martial artists, it's not as if they don't want to challenge. You know, they want to challenge. They're picking hard sports really difficult, you know, competitive sport. So, yeah, they want to challenge. So, you know, most of the time training can be, you know, challenging and rewarding as well. I don't think you need to be um, screaming at people to to run up the hill faster. Yeah, you know, if it's not coming from within, within, maybe there is a bit of a, um, a problem. Maybe they're not quite as uh, elite as, uh, or, or as dedicated as you think they are. What, tell me about Costa Zoo. What was he like as a guy? What was his work ethic like? Did he have any similarities to Jeff in terms of his mental approach to boxing? Um, well, he was certainly a different character. Um, you know, I suppose I went with uh, Johnny and Jeff and, and Bill Morty and, 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 and Pete Matreski to Homebush when we, watched, we first watched Costa compete in the World Cup, which was held in, in Sydney. And um, yeah, Costa won it. He was uh, representing Russia at the time. And, um, you know, we just thought, wow, what a standard. He fights like a pro and he's cleaning up all the amateurs. So he's sort of beating them at their own game, which is a, more of a faster, lighter sort of style. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think uh, maybe eight months later, he, he come, I, I, you know, I wasn't privy to any discussions or what was going on. And, and all I know is um, I'm picking him up from... Um, he lived on Botany Road, so I used to pick him up on the way to training. And, and um, you know, I don't know how accurate this story is, but I tell the story, you know, he never used to say anything. He never used to, you know, talk. And, um, you know, I, I knew how good a boxer he was and I was sparring with him a little bit and he was he was pretty good. And, um, you know, I, th- I thought maybe he's just focusing on, on, on the drive to training, you know. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to do the same thing, you know. So I turned off the radio and I'd just be quiet and I'd just be thinking about, okay, we're going to sort of spar today. And I got caught a few times, you know, so I'd start thinking about it. Little did I know, 
that um, yeah, he just couldn't speak English, and um, <laughs> he would he would go to English classes after training. So, but uh, yeah, we had it. We we developed a really good friendship and uh, sparred you know hundreds of rounds with him. Um, uh, yeah, so, so much so he, he um, I was living at San City at the time, and he moved from um, Botany Road, which was a a funny place, but um, sure is. To, yeah, to uh, to to San Susie, you know. And I suppose based on my recommendation, he thought because I was a local, I, I sort of knew where that where a good place was. Um, yeah, ten years later, he um, he had a different budget than what I did, but um, you know, we we got on. His kids are similar age to to my kids, and we got on well. And and um, it's nice. We we bumped into Tim Zoo a week before his big fight. Myself, my wife Marie, and, and youngest son Jack, and and yeah, you know, Tim just stays for ten or fifteen minutes, has a chat, you know, just talking about the old times at San Susie, whatever. And I just thought that's nice. He's a he's pretty calm, just like his dad before a fight. Nothing phases him. Pretty composed sort of guy, and um, yeah. So so the difference. Um, Jeff was Fennec was quite a frantic, intense person. Costa was, you know, whether it was because of his lack of English speaking, but he was a very composed, um, uh, you know, cool, relaxed guy before a fight. You know, very focused, but, yeah, it's hard, it was a hard hard to read any um, stress that he was going through pre-fight. I, I want to talk about you, your current coaching and the guys you're, you're working with shortly. But looking back on those guys, obviously a different era, and it's probably not as – we're probably not as aware back then of the mental side of things, or it wasn't as popular anyway. What was the preparation like for a big fight from a mental standpoint? Was it even talked about, or was it just something that guys had to sort out themselves? Well, I think, um, you know, everyone was uh, different, and I don't think anything's really changed. I think we may think we know a little bit more about things now, but um, I think, Back, back then, things were simpler, were simpler times. You know, there, there was no, um, you know, there were no iPhones, there were no computers. Uh, the, you know, only very big businesses would have a computer. So um, um, I think, uh, you know, because I know Fennec would, would, would like to have his mates and have a fairly lively sort of dressing room before a fight. Um, Costa would have his uh, wife, Natasha, in, in the dressing uh, rooms and um, he liked it fairly composed and simple, still, um, you know, happy, good vibe, a bit of an upbeat vibe. Um, and, and, and just about all the guys that, that had that sort of success, um, that's, that was how they dealt. I mean, they did all the work, you know, three months out, two months out, one month out. That's when they did all That's when they got their confidence. Yeah. And I think um, they like winning and they just saw every fight as an opportunity to win. But they're realistic and, and, and knew that, you know, there's only two people in the contest, you know, the, the honest odds are you're a 50, 50. So they realized that, but they really look forward to winning, you know? So it was always a positive, um, you know, I think maybe Johnny sort of set that up a little bit too, or encouraged it. Yeah. Positive uh, environment and address, you know, not foolish and very focused on, on what we we're doing, but you, you know, you can't just think about a fight for a week before, you know, as you're, papering your training load you can't just continually think about it. you just want to get out there and and do other stuff and mix it up with, you know with family and other friends outside of boxing and and have that uh, good uh, balanced approach i think is you know i think that's the way to go mate tell me tell me about the work you're doing at smeaton grange obviously they're building pretty strong team out there with a lot of up there's a couple of up and coming guys and a couple of you know obviously guys like rob uh in the team What's what's it like working with with that crew out there? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, it's pretty easy because um, yeah, Alex Pratz is the head coach, and and he set such a great culture, uh, great work ethic, very you know humble, respectful people. Um, really motivating for myself. I I, I just can't. I feel like I can't do enough to help. I want to help them as much as I possibly can. Um, yeah, I think I think that's. I think what they're doing is important. I think um, the community and families that they all represent 
you know, they're representing so well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud to be a, a small part of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy. I mean, honestly, if you, if you line them all up from, from Rob Whitaker all, all the way down and ask them to run through a couple of um, brick walls or as they have out there, prefab concrete walls, they'd... Um, They'd run. They'd be running through them. There's not, you know, they just, they just, uh, you know, they love it. Um, they're dedicated. They're very, you know, respectful, humble, and professional at the same time. It's, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. And um, as I say, I'm pretty, pretty fortunate just to, you know, be part of that. Uh, I'm, I follow the gym on Instagram. Follow Alex, and and one of the things that I consistently hear anytime they put anything out, which they don't put a lot out just quietly, but Anytime they talk about the gym, it's a real seems to be a real focus on basics and nailing the basics and just going back to the fundamentals. Is that is that a bit of a theory that Alex has, or is that a philosophy that underpins the whole training program out there? Yeah, well, I think um, short answer yes, and that resonates with me. As, as I said, Johnny's philosophy was super simple. Suit, you know, nothing complicated, and um, you know Alex sees things the same way. So yeah, I mean, keep, keeping things simple. I think um, yeah, I think that's our belief. You know, um, is is it right or wrong? I don't know, but you know, I've seen a lot of success with people keeping things uh, very simple. But you know, by saying keeping it simple, getting very very good at things. You know, I often. So if you know if you look at guys like Usain Bolt, that they, they don't overcomplicate running, do they? They just do it very, very well. Yeah. And um, he just has to consistently do it very, very well. And um, you know he'll get the cookies every time. <laughs> what What about skill acquisition? So obviously, and, and this is someone that really has no idea. So they book a fight. It might be three months, six months, two months in advance, whatever it is. So obviously you're preparing for a fight, but in the downtime when you're not actually preparing specifically for a fight, how do you guys attack that in terms of skill acquisition, adding new strings to the bow? Like what's what's the process in actually getting guys better as martial artists before they prepare for a fight? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I can only speak on 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 how I I think about it. But sometimes, if you're thinking of um, a slight change in habit for someone, and you've got some downtime, that's the time to start, um, you know, trying to work on that and just sort of see how it goes. Because obviously, um, you know, change. You got to be careful of change because if you change something, you you know, you got to be careful what you're doing because it, it you know, it's yeah, not just a positive aspect. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's probably a good time to just start tidying up a few things. I mean, these guys don't need a lot of changes. Um, and I suppose for me, I think it's a good time to talk to the, to the um, competitors, the, the athletes, to get a bit of feedback. And uh, I think, you know, great, great learning place is, is from them. I mean, they're pretty clever guys and they're fighting at, a, at an elite level. Um, I, I love listening to them and, and learning from them and then, you know, I suppose then just tidying that up and making that part of part of what we do. I de- definitely what, learn a lot from the boys. Well, you you know, it's interesting. I mean, uh, Rob Whitaker, world champion, one of Australia's greatest, if not greatest, fighter. I mean, who yeah. better to learn from about fighting yeah. at world championship level? You know, because he's been in there. Yeah. Well, I think all all of the boys, and, and not only just learning, but if you're talking to them about what they're doing. You're starting to understand maybe why they don't do certain things because they're struggling a little bit, you know, like, um, you know, some of the old comedy routines in boxing, you know, every time you, the, the, you know, the coach is yelling out, throw your jab, and, you know, the, the boxer won't do it because he keeps getting hit every time, you know. So sometimes there's a reason. Maybe it's just too slow. So he doesn't want to throw it because it's too slow because when he throws it, it's too slow and he gets hit. So, you know, there's a little circle of really simple, simplifying things if you can make it a better jab, maybe throw it a little bit more often and the coach will be happy and the, the competitor will be happy. So, you know, I think it sounds probably too simple, but, yeah, I mean, keeping uh, communication open with whoever you're coaching, I think, um, is pretty important. Pretty important, what's, yeah. What's a, what's a standard week like there for, for the top guys? So they're probably training 
two and three times a day. Um, you know, five days a week, Monday to Friday. And then, um, you know, Saturday, <clears throat> you know, most of the boys will, will do like um, their jiu-jitsu open mat on the floor and then there might be some sparring for some of them after it or we might box or it's a, it's a little bit of a, a creative day Saturdays. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, but they're, they're, they're week through the Monday to fri- uh, Friday is pretty intense. Um, obviously, the wrestling is um, very important and very hard to do. Um yeah, the jiu-jitsu, very important, very, you know, very hard to do as well, particularly, you know, when you're at that level. I'd like to say it's hard for me, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they're at a level where, you know, watching them roll um, is, you know, is exciting just in itself. Watching them wrestle is exciting. So watching them box is exciting. Watching them kickbox, it's all exciting. Um, I suppose that's, you know, what... Um, is exciting about uh, mixed martial arts and, and the whole UFC bandwagon is um, you're mixing all of these uh, varying martial arts and, uh, you know, if someone's got a deficiency in one, well, they're in a bit of trouble. How does, how does Alex think about mixing the martial arts? Like do, so just say with you, will you only do boxing? And then when they're doing jujitsu, they're only doing jujitsu or with a kickboxer or, is it is it a matter of getting better at the individual martial arts, and then when you're sparring, that's when you sort of put it all together? Is it, how does he think about it? Yeah, no, that's that's exactly how how it is. I mean, um, I jokingly say that um, I've only got a boxing license. Um, I fantasise about being a grappling coach and a kicking coach, mostly because I haven't got a clue and I'm not very good at those things. But um, yeah, I mean, and and that's probably the strength of Alex. He just keeps everything simple. I box, you know. We've, we've got got yeah, you know, we've got wrestling coaches and obviously a, a, a bunch of jujitsu coaches and um, you know, the boys learn off each other. But yeah, and and I suppose if you're going to be good at uh, mixed martial arts, you've got to be able to bring them all together because no, no one can, um, you know, could really coach you. And I suppose that's where it gets a little bit more like a, a rugby game. Um, you know, somebody's got to be on the field steering the ship because things change. Oppositions throw some things at you. They don't defend, defend things well. They defend things particularly well. So in that sense, I think it's very similar to, to those sorts of um, sports. Um, and for sure, if you've got a weakness, um, um, you know, if you've got a front row that can't tackle Duncan, I'm not saying it's you. I couldn't do but... anything. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I did yeah. watch you play down there with um, my nephew Sean Doyle. So we met That's before the jujitsu, right. and I thought you you're quite a solid player, Duncan. For um, I appreciate that, mate. For, you must have had a few rebels. beers that day, mate. <laughs> Uh, I think that was a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, um, it's just it's just interesting to hear because to me, like literally knowing nothing about jujitsu and maybe doing 10 kickboxing classes in my life, it's bloody hard to get good at these things. And it takes a seriously large amount of time. I couldn't yeah. even imagine how to mix it all together in, in a fight. Like, you know, Rob fought Yael Romero, who's obviously a great wrestler, and then Adesanya, who's a kickboxer. And then like just the process of getting to that level is seems impossible to me. Yeah, yeah well, well, I well, think, not impossible, um, but it seems difficult, very difficult. It's challenging, and 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 yeah, I mean, um, yeah, but I think you know, with you've got a very strong rugby background, and 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 you're getting involved in the ca- coaching, so it's like you know, the other team's got speedy wingers and big forwards, and you know, well, maybe they haven't got great kicking skills. Or, you know, you're just looking for some weakness. You're just looking for stuff, you know. And, yeah. And maybe sometimes you can beat someone that's better than you. I mean, that's the great thing about these sports. If you just stick to the basics and do them really, really well, yeah, maybe you can beat the most talented team. And and I think that's sort of, you know, one of the great stories of when, when that happens. And, um, you know, whilst I think uh, Rob Whitaker's absolutely blessed with with as much skill, if not more than anyone in the middleweight division, 
and, and I think you know hopefully we'll, we'll see that um, you know um, turn turn you know his next three or four fights into into good wins. Um, so he's also got the drive and the relentlessness. So that um, you know I feel if he can if he comes up against someone that may be more skillful, I'm yet to see that person. But if he yeah. does. Um, he can still believe he can win, and he still has a way and knows how to win. I think, yeah, that's 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 an important part, I suppose, of my philosophy and 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 Alex's and Johnny's. So, you, you know, we all think the same way. We all think we can beat people that might be more skillful or blessed with a little bit more talent. Um, just because we, you have to, you have to think yeah, like that. Yeah, because you're gonna, and and not only that, like in a game of rugby, when when you know. And, and you'd relate to this, you've just done 13 tackles in a row. No, I can't, rela- the team. can't relate to that. Can't relate to and that. And then they get the speedy centre to run, you know, a metre away from you at full, full boil. And, you know, you, you just can't get there. So, you know, I think that's the sort of stuff you work on. You just you just got to work them over, work them over, and then, you know, bring 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 their skill level down and then take them on. You know, there's, there's all – I mean, and that's the great thing with – grappling in 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 mma you know you're taking people to the ground it's um yeah it's it's a physical draining you know part of the sport um and, and i always think you know i never see anyone go to the ground for you know two or three minutes in maybe the first two rounds if if, if their striking was a 10 out of 10 before that well they end up being about a four out of 10 after it because they are gone they're, they're, they're in a world of pain they're fatigued so yeah, there's a huge amount of strategy involved as well. Oh, I, right. yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What um? How does training pre- uh, change when you're preparing for a fight? Does it change? It, it doesn't really change for us because we work hard all the time. It probably the intensity goes up a little bit, um, but that's all. You know. Um, I yeah, guess they really got to make weight. They got to make weight, so they probably have to yeah. change the food a little bit, do some extra conditioning. Oh, ab- absolutely. You know, the the the, the, di- the dieting sort of starts, and um, yeah, but that might start eight weeks before they get they get serious. And um, yeah, just probably the intensity of their training. They, they they focus. I mean, all the boys seem to like to know when they've got an opponent locked in. They just lit. I mean. Even if it's ten weeks out, they just love it, and they yeah you know, they lock in, and they've got someone, and you know they're happy sort of thing. So, what does um what does fight week look like for the boys? Is it pretty low key? All the work's been done. Just a matter of getting comfortable wherever you are. Like is, yeah, is so, it, like for so for a, bit, a complete outsider, can you give us a bit of a picture of what it's like? So so in. Boxing, it's um, you know you're looking after yourself. Um, in the the, in the boys competing in the UFC, and, and we've got uh, Izzy Docks, who in about five or six weeks is competing in one FC over in uh, Thailand. But um, and one FC are fairly big. They operate very similar to to UFC in, in my experience. UFC is a, such a professional organisation. You know they they do everything. Um, from the corner to, to the athletes, they look after everyone, super professional, great team. And, you know, I had a business for 36 years and probably on average employed about 15 people. And I just can't get over uh, the staff at the USC, and there might be, I don't know, 100 of them, how professional they are, how they go out of their way. You know, it's like if you if you bump into someone in the hotel and say, oh, look, we're, we're we're looking for X for our training, or we're looking for you know we, we need some more water, whatever it might be. Yeah. They they are like, yeah, come with me now, let's get it sorted. Or okay, uh, I need ten minutes. Give me a mobile number. I will get back to you. We'll get this sorted. And you know, sort of, uh, I've I've been super impressed. You know, and um, just a great culture, great attitude, and that certainly makes it helpful for the fighters because. Um, I wouldn't say they get pampered by any stretch, but they they get treated uh, professionally by professional people, and um, certainly makes it easy. And it's probably why they do it, you know. How how can so obviously you're you're helping train guys who are in very stressful situations, 
I can't, I can't, I've never been in a fight. I can only imagine how stressful it is doing it with no clothes on in front of the world. How, do, how can you help them? How can you help prepare them for that? Is it a matter of just doing work day in, day out in the gym so that when you get to a fight, it feels easy? Or how, how do you think about that? What's Is there a thought or a, a process that you guys go through? Yeah, for me, and it seems to be a good fit with, you know, Alex and, and the rest of the coaching team, um, you know, we would always take in the hard work we did, you know, three months before, two months before, one month before. Um, we would take a lot of confidence out of, out of that hard work and that preparation and anything we needed to work on. So I guess you're really lowering the stress. If you, you know, you can sit, sit in the uh, dressing room, you know, three hours before a fight, you know, your coaching team know, everyone knows you've done the work, you're the best you can be. And I think that's the important thing to try and – it's a hard thing to do, but to put on the best performance you can on a given night, well, that's a challenge. Yeah. So – but if you're working towards it for a long time, um, it's certainly, you know, achievable or getting very, very close to it is achievable. And in most cases when you're doing that, that's that's good enough to get, to get a win. So, um, yeah, I think we take a lot of confidence, which gets rid of a lot of stress from from the hard work we do. And we, we, we sort of have a bit of a thing where we think we can outwork anyone. And um, so, you know, we take a tremendous amount of confidence into into the uh, cage. You know, you know, it's funny. A- anytime you hear a high performer talk about confidence, it always goes back to knowing I've, d- I've worked my ass off and ticked every box I can. That's where real yeah. confidence comes from. Somewhat, the first time I, I, I cornered uh, Jacob Malkoon, everyone was saying, oh, you know, you, you, you must have been so nervous because that was my first um, go in at the UFC. And, and I thought about it a bit and, and would respond saying, nah, I was so nervous four months out because I knew where we, we need to be. Three months out, I knew where we need to be. And, and we were just there, so we just had to sort of crank it up and work harder, work smarter, and just just tidy up a few things. To me, that's when I was um, probably most concerned about being on track. Yeah. I felt really comfortable, um, you know, the, the day of the fight, the week of the fight, because I thought we've, we've done the work, we're looking good, we can handle what, what our opponent's going to, throw at us we can handle that and i was very confident we could and and i think hopefully um you know jacob can feel a bit of that and 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 believe in that himself because you know i think it's it's pretty true so it's 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 so interesting how do you pick a guy up after they've not succeeded is that is that that's an interesting thing that i don't think many people talk about because it's very you're putting yourself out there in front of the world if you win, yeah. I, can, I can only imagine it's one of the best feelings. But if you lose, how do, how do you get someone back back up? Well, I, I'd like to give you a profound and complex answer to that. But, um, you know, I think for me, just um, as I said, my um, ability to focus on the past isn't that good. You know, Which can be a good I'll, thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely move on, you know, and I apply this most things in my life, you know, like things go wrong, but I'm not going to replay them and relive them. I want to learn from them and minimise, you know, uh, the recurring mistakes or whatever that might be. But, um, you know, I think, look, you're always looking forward to the good things you're doing and focus on the good things you're doing. And, you know, in, in terms of fighting, if you can do – only good things were very you're very hard to beat so yeah yeah we had a bit of a look at you know jacob yeah getting caught or whatever we worked on a whole bunch of stuff and had a good understanding and um you know we certainly weren't overconfident and nobody knows you know you go into a fight you're 50 50 but um we, we you know we, we were confident that he would he would do well 
um, because of all the work that he did. I mean, Jacob is just a great worker. He's, um, yeah, I mean, once I work out how to get generate electricity from the work that Jacob does, then uh, I'll certainly be retiring from everything for good. <laughs> it, it, it's funny, isn't it? Looking at a, a situation or an outcome as a learning experience and not a reflection of who you are as a person is something that I've been trying to work on lately in my own coaching because just, just say, you know, the scrum doesn't go well. Okay. Rather than getting upset about it, go, how can we fix that problem? Or the scrum went well, how can we get it better rather than going, Oh fuck, I'm awesome. You know, something like that's just something I've been exploring with. And it sounds like a pretty similar thing for the guys is, is using, um, not necessarily failure, but you know something that happens in a fight as a learning experience. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that that's where you can sort of, you know, s- spread that across. You know, it's, we love to see sport is an intense sort of moments in life, and we can use those lessons that uh, you know everyone's going to make plenty of mistakes. And I suppose the important thing is what happens after that. You know, do you learn from them, or are you ignorant? Are you blaming yeah, other people? Um, you know, are there changes you can make to, to have a better outcome in that situation? I think, yeah, if you're thinking like that all the time, and it's it's fun, it's interesting. Everyone likes to improve. Everyone likes to do things better. So I think that's where the fun is. I mean, the fun is in winning and uh, that's your goal. So tidying up things and fixing things, just becoming better. I think... Um, it's uh, it's a little bit of a monster that you just got to keep check on because, you know, I like feeding that monster, but I think you just got to keep it in check and not get too carried away. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, mate, I'm so grateful for your time. I've got a couple more questions, and then I think it's time for a Friday afternoon beer. What do what similarities do Jeff Fennick, Costa Zoo, Rob Whitaker, the great fighters? What do they have in common that makes them great? Well, a whole bunch of um, natural uh, athletic ability. That's probably one. Um, a great passion for the sport they're in. Um, and the passion drives great understanding and comprehension. Um, you, you know, like you, you, when you talk about coaching, I think these guys are, are the technical experts. You know, they, they live it and they're good at it. Um, that's why you know, I like to learn from, from them. But, um, you know, I suppose the thing that that's critical is the drive, you know, because, um, you know, in boxing, everyone likes, um, everyone likes skipping and running and punching the bags and the balls and dancing in front of the mirror and doing all that sort of stuff. But then one day somebody punches you in the face <laughs> And that's not what everyone's thinking the sport's about. And, um, you know, I suppose the people that um, can handle the punch in the face with with a degree of, um, you know, uh, composure where they think, well, well, that's not going to happen again, rather than, well, I'm never going to go in there again. They're thinking, yeah, I'm going to go there again, but that's not going to happen again. So, you know, it's that mindset that they can deal with things. And, again, I think, you, you, you take that into to, to most facets of your life um, that, you know, things are going to go wrong and you just got to deal with it and get on with things, you know. Well, and I, like- I think that's the attraction for these sports, you know, that, uh, yeah, uh, whether it be rugby or, or mixed martial arts, you know, some, some things don't go well. And it's worse when things don't go well and you're hurting <laughs> as well so you know things can com- compound a bit and, that, and again that happens in life so you just gotta you know the old saying get back on the bike and and uh, not let it happen again what did mike tyson say everyone's got a plan until they're punched in the face yeah that's right <laughs> and it certainly simplifies things doesn't it? it certainly does what's it like being a cornerman for someone that you care about i i i've never watched anyone that i know or love in a fight I could imagine that that's a pretty stressful situation for you. One, how do you deal with it? Two, when you're in a fight, how do you think about giving instructions? Yeah, well, you know, for myself personally, um, 
my son Shane and uh, my nephew Tom had um, you know half a dozen or more uh, amateur boxing matches, and um, yeah, I did feel that was a little bit of pressure, you know, because you you sort of you're double checking that you're not um, too emotionally attached and you're giving them the, the best and most professional sort of advice and direction you can. Um, but I think that's why I think, you know, we got it, we're doing the work, you know, well beforehand, you know, we're attaining skills six months beforehand, you know, we're working hard three months beforehand. That's when we're doing the work and that, and that's why I think, well, you know, if we're at our best and, if we're at our best and we get beat, well, well, well that's the way it is. Um, if we're at our best, we, you know, and I suppose the way we train and the way we think, if we're at our best, we'll find a way to win. Even if the other person's better, we're going to find a way to win be- yeah. because you know we that that's the mindset we have and and we've got the the, the physical skills to to back it up. So, um. I think um, I think you just have to when, when you're corner. You just you know, or what I do is I just feel like I'm in it with that person. Like the the corner team is is tight, so we're all feeling the same thing. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't actually feel that that nervous in in the corner at all. I, I feel confident. I feel I know what we're doing. Um, we we work hard. Uh, Alex is very clever at, at at the communication that we have and the way that we communicate it, and it's simple and it's clear and it's effective. And there's never anything new that happens when we're in the corner of a fight. Like we don't come up with a new plan. We don't say different words. They're they're, they're all you know three line sentences or three word four word sentences that we've already shared. You know with the with the fighter. So that's know, on that's on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't see that for everyone, but it, it certainly is the way for us. Clear, concise, sure. I like I like that. It's fun. Being a rugby coach, you got to give instructions mid-game, and one of the common things you see is guys just going on and on and on. And often it's for the coach's benefit and not for the benefit of the players or the athletes. So I think that's really good advice. Couple couple more questions, mate. As a coach, how do you improve your skill set? Is it a matter of going to guys like Johnny? Or, or talking to guys like Rob or Jacob and, and getting a different take on things. Like, how do you how do you improve? How do you look to improve? I think yeah, if you're passionate about the sport and what you're doing, it, it sort of naturally happens that those conversations um, you seem to find yourself in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I think um, you know you're surrounding yourself with with good people you know i've been fortunate in my business life and in my family life i've I've had great support great advice people i trust um and obviously my sporting life it's the same so i think you're putting yourself in the environment where you're going to continually learn because that's what you like to do and and maybe that's part and parcel of um you know if, if you're just sharing knowledge and sharing experience as a coach you know, I tend to think sometimes, um, you know, I, I like a humble approach. You know, I'm just sharing. I, I never reinvented the wheel or anything like that. Um, you know, again, I'm just almost copying other experiences and applying bits and pieces of them that, that I feel appropriate. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think how, how do you improve as a coach? We'll, we'll certainly stay humble and learn from other coaches. Yeah, learn learn from your players, learn from your competitors, um, and I suppose stay hungry. Never think that you've got everything worked out. <laughs> this this might tie into that question, but what makes someone a great coach? I think, um, in, in my eyes, uh, yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm blessed. Uh, yeah, Johnny Lewis, great coach. Uh, Alex Pratt's great coach, and you know, had a great, good relationship with those guys. Um, to me, what makes someone a great coach is um, they they want you to be sex- successful, but you're setting the goal. So again, I go back to you know, Johnny had thousands of people that just came up and just wanted to throw a few punches and 
burn a few calories and whatever. And he welcomed them, encouraged them, and you know, as much as he did the hundreds of um, you know state titles and you know, many world champions that he coached, it was exactly the same. And and I, I see this as a mirror with Alex Bratz, you know, like the the white belt um, that walks into the gym, yeah, gets the same sort of level of, of coaching, you know, and, and it's not complicated. You just get asked to do something and they watch you. I mean, the coaches, you know, they observe and they watch and then they give a couple of little simple tips. And it's funny because particularly beginners think, oh, they don't say anything. They don't tell me what to do. I think, well, yeah, you just got to do stuff first. You got to build, you got to build a game and then, you know, then we can work on it. But if you've, you know, you sort of need to build something. And, um, yeah, so I think, um, the key things to coaching is is you've got to want to you've got to you know genuinely want to help people succeed in whatever they're doing. So, you know, if if someone just want to get a bit of mobility or get back into shape or win a world title, if you're able to help, um, yes, I think you you just got to have this get the same amount of joy and satisfaction in helping people across the board for sure. Someone winning a a, a big event is is exciting, but um. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned Blake Johnson before when yeah. um, only a couple of days ago his, his brother rang me and said, we, we want you to come down to like um, a, di- a dinner we're having. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Ben, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's more important people you can have down there and blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, well, you know, I trained Blake, um, gee, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, they used to come around and, and box in our backyard, in our, in our garage and, um you know, we had some some honest conversations about stuff. Blake was competing at a high level surfing, and anyway, Ben said to me, he "Goes, I know Blake said that you mean so much, and he's never forgotten. You know that what you guys were doing and the conversations you had and the support you gave him." And and I was, I was pretty emotional about that because I'm thinking, yeah, well, Absolutely. yeah, I remember it. Not I yeah. thought it was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a thing, and. Um, you know, for him to remember it and uh, insist that I turn up to this thing, I thought, oh, that's that's pretty special for me. I felt, you know, and and back then I genuinely tried to help these young guys that were maybe a bit lost or maybe you know didn't channel their focus the, the right way. And yeah, so so I sort of just grabbed some of my experience with with some people that had been successful and, and just tried to sort of copy and paste that. And I was just winging it at the time, you know. Mate, last last question. Actually, two more questions. Two. I keep saying that, but two more. I could talk to you for hours. What has boxing taught you about life? Ooh, okay. I, I sort of steer away from that thinking. I think um, I don't think boxing teaches you anything. I think while you're in a high pressure environment like boxing, like jujitsu, like the MMA, like rugby, you can learn a lot about yourself, and then you can you can learn how, how to improve yourself. Like how do you handle tougher situations? Like how do you have a bad game of rugby and then get dropped, you know? So you have a bad game and then they drop you, you know? So things can com- compound, but, you know, if you sort of think uh, I'll take it as a goal, I'm going to improve myself and, uh, you know, hopefully get back to the next team up and, you know, and we can have some, so, so, you know, I think that's the same thing. And in those let's call them high pressure environments. You're on the field, you're in the cage. That's when you can learn about yourself. And sometimes you learn that you're probably not um, doing things as good as you think you were. So you need to work a bit harder or, or just be a little bit more humble. So that's the way I look at it. Not, not so much the sport teaching me anything. It just gives me, a, it's a, it's a great arena for me to learn a bit about myself and, and, and the people you're coaching and stuff like that. That's a great answer. Last question. If you could tell 18-year-old Brian Doyle one thing, what would it be? I'd probably have to say that, um, unfortunately, the Newtown Jets are not coming back to the NRL. So <laughs> I'm not that in 20 years. I love it. Mate, just, just finally to finish, uh, let's give your boxing gym a bit of a plug. So it'll be in Tarrant Point. When does it open? What are you going to call it? And we'll make sure we get it out in our socials as well. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, it's uh, It'll be just known as the uh, Tarrant Point uh, 
Terran Point Boxing. Yep. Uh, we're going to start off in Northumberland Road. We've we've got something started at the moment, but uh, we'll open that to the public in a, um, in about five or six weeks. How, how so, are you going to do it? Like a morning and, a, and an afternoon class? Or uh, still yeah, we'll be doing a couple of sessions uh, every evening. Yep. Uh, we'll be doing kids uh, from, from nine years old. Uh, we'll be doing them around four o'clock and then five and six o'clock we'll be doing adults, um, yeah, from – from anyone that just wants to keep fit, learn a little bit about boxing, um, yeah, to, to to whatever people want to do. And I think, you know, funny we talk about so much in coaching. That's my focus in, is in coaching people, not not telling people that they should become a world champion, you know, just tell them to be the best version of themselves and and hopefully give them a bit of a hand to to, to achieve that. But it's, it's, it's funny, even just, Going back, I went back to Miranda probably November, September, and seeing some of the people who lose significant amounts of weight or, you know, changes their lives a little bit. So I can only imagine as a coach, that's equally as rewarding as, you know, going to a title fight with Rob Whitaker. For sure. For mate, sure. What, what a way to end, mate. Thanks so much.